0: I would love for you to take and turn to the book of Mark chapter 2 and we're going to go into chapter 3 because these two stories, these two events connect. Christ's redemption of the Sabbath that's kind of the story that goes behind these scenes and the point of these uh, stories that Mark tells and you know Sabbath might be a new word to some of you. Maybe you've not really thought about it, but it's a, it's a hot topic. There's lots of swirling ideas about the Sabbath out there. Now, some of us have made up our minds how we're going to use Sunday because we call, we call that the Sabbath, but it really isn't, and I'm going to explain that. But but we don't need any more advice. We, we know how Sunday's supposed to go, but we may have figured it out in our own minds, but I really wonder if we have. And I'm hoping that You'll get as much out of this as I got this week about how we're supposed to spend our Sundays. The real Sabbath debate must lead to soul-searching. Soul-searching over our salvation and then sanctification of our salvation, sanctification of our lives, cleaning things out, setting us apart. I want you to listen to Jesus as he interacts with some man-made rules about the Sabbath starting with verse 23 of chapter 2 in the book of Mark. On the Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to make their way picking some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He said to them, have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except priests, and also gave some to his companions. Then he told them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So then, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Chapter 3, verse 1, Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a shriveled hand. In order to accuse him, they were watching him closely to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. He told the man with a shriveled hand, stand before us. Then he said to them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. After looking around at them with anger, he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts and told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Immediately the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him, how they might kill him. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm glad you showed us this. I'm glad you demonstrated how our ideas of holiness and sanctimony and all can get out of hand and take us to a place we don't want to go. And I thank you most importantly that you, Jesus, are our Sabbath rest. Teach us that this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so to remind you, the book of Mark, it was probably written somewhere around AD 65 to 69, right after the big fire in Rome where Nero was blaming the Christians for um, that fire and beginning to persecute Christians. Mark is writing a a, a version of Jesus' ministry to send to them, to encourage them, to help them. In their time of uh, persecution. And as Mark writes this, he likes to use the number three, which if you've read your Bible at all, you know the number three kind of pops up in a lot of places. Most importantly, Jesus was dead for three days. So we like that one a lot. But here he's bringing out three different times in chapters one through three, three different times that the Sabbath controversy kind of raises its head. The demoniac was healed then the picking of the grain at the end of chapter 2, and then the healing that goes on the first of chapter 3. He's showing the conflict that Jesus had with a bunch of legalists, Pharisees, people who think they can earn their way into God's favor. You know, there are 13 different accounts in Scripture of Jesus confronting the Sabbath controversy with with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees now are beginning to confront Jesus and his authority. And they're using the Sabbath rules that they've made up to, re, to, to point that out and to confront Jesus with. And, and Jesus in this time captures the real idea of what's behind the Sabbath. Jesus asserts his authority as the son of God over the Sabbath. And he does it to return it to what God intended it to be. A symbol for redemption. Not just a day in the week. So Jesus' lordship establishes the Sabbath for what God made it. And when I use the word new covenant this morning, I want you to understand that's the new covenant we have in Jesus Christ. By his blood and his death and resurrection, we are born into God, we're children of God by that covenant for those who have faith in Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at this with new covenant eyes as we go through it looking at what the Old Testament had said. So how did Jesus remedy the misapplication of the Sabbath? Well, he redeems two events that happen here. You've seen them already regarding the Sabbath, and he uses the new covenant that's coming, hasn't yet come in this particular context, but is coming. And so first of all, Jesus shows them that the Sabbath is for humanity, not the other way around. Jesus rules over the Sabbath Sabbath, for our uh, benefit, Look at 23 through 28 again. Let's read this grain picking issue they, that they've got going on here. On the Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. Now, to understand something about first-century Palestine? Grain fields had paths through them, okay? So you weren't just trumping on the grain like we would see out here if we did that in, in the cornfield or the bean field. They're, they've got paths cut through the grain field, and they're allowed to do this by Jewish law, pick pick heads of grain in, with their hands and eat them as they go. So they're doing this. And the Pharisees, which are a group of people who are very much about protecting God's law, but what they've done is created a bunch of man-made laws to protect God's law. They're obviously traveling along with, them, with Jesus and his disciples. And they said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus told them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So then the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So like I said, they're strolling through the grain fields, they're picking this thing, this is normal behavior, this is not unusual, they're not robbing the person who owns the field, although sometimes we may think that because of our way of looking at things, but they're they're picking grain and the Pharisees start saying they're violating God's law, they're breaking the law on the Sabbath to pick grain. Well that's one of those silly rules they made up to protect the Sabbath from work, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, which was Saturday by the way, not Sunday, it's the seventh day of the week. But it's permitted in Deuteronomy 23, 25. It's permitted to do this as long as you don't use a sickle. As long as you don't use some tool to cut down the grain and, and pluck it. You can pluck the heads off the grain and eat them. It's, a, it's allowed. But they wrote this rule and they're accusing the disciples of breaking the law and accusing of Jesus of being an accomplice in it and everything. And their accusatory tone in this confrontation, it, it initiates this confrontation really. And Jesus corrects them. And he doesn't use Deuteronomy 23, 25 to correct them. He uses a story about David. 1 Samuel 21 is where this story is, and you can read about it. But he wants you to see that it's about need, real need, and about hunger. God doesn't want people to starve on the Sabbath. And this bread of presence was 12 loaves that were baked and put in the tabernacle in the holy place for a symbol to God, and in every... Every so many days, I think it was a week, they would take out that 12 and put another 12 in, freshly baked. So this is not the 12 that's in the Holy of Holies. It is the 12 that were just taken out. But those 12 are supposed to be set apart for the priests to eat. It's their sustenance. But Jesus makes it clear that it's okay for him, for him and his friends to eat this. And, and it's basically illustrating that the, the true needs should govern our Sabbath use, their Sabbath youth, use and the ceremonial rituals that are in the Old Testament. But it's not for your own gain or your own pleasure. David wasn't just trying to get a free meal, okay? He had a real need, and if you read the account in 1 Samuel 21, you'll understand what was going on. He was being chased by Saul and other things going on then. So Jesus sets the purpose of the Sabbath before them. Real need, real hunger, real human need. Sabbath is for man, not the other way around. And so now we can step back a second and we say, okay, in the new covenant, how does this look? Well, the son of man, which is a way Jesus referred to him in the gospels, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. He's Lord of the Sabbath and that makes all the difference. So he gets to interpret how it's used. So right there, even though people may have thought David had broken some law by eating the bread of presence, Jesus makes it very clear, nope. David did not break any law. He was allowed because he had a need. Jesus rules the Sabbath for our benefit. Now, we kind of can accept that because most of us have been in church most of our life. but, But I want you to pay attention. Here's really how Jesus sets the Sabbath in its right frame. First of all, know where the Sabbath started in creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He worked for six days, rested the Sabbath. Now, if you know God, he doesn't need rest, okay? He just stopped, which is what the word Sabbath actually comes from. He stopped his work because he was done. So he created man on the sixth day, Friday, and on Saturday, he stopped. He stopped his work and he rested. That's where it starts. Then God gave a command in Exodus 28. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember it. And then all the uses of what you could and couldn't do. There's a story in Scripture of a man picking up sticks on the Sabbath. And he gets stoned because he broke the Sabbath. Because he was intentionally sinning against what God had commanded. He didn't have a need for the sticks for his fire. He didn't have that true of a need. So there is some serious penalties that went along with this. But now it's redeemed by Christ. In Hebrews chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews explains how we, as believers in Jesus Christ, have an an eternal Sabbath rest. We do not have to work any longer for our righteousness. That's the Sabbath rest that that we're looking at here. That's the Sabbath rest that Jesus has gotten for us. We do not have to earn our salvation. That's the new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. So we are In that we don't have to and that was the whole point of the old testament laws about the sabbath was that you were trying to live a clean and ceremonially pure life in righteousness before god and you had to follow those rules in in certain cases but you could not you could not violate them just at any whim you had to let human need dictate that now for us in the new covenant, our Sabbath rest is Jesus Christ. He's earned our salvation. He's, he's imputed righteousness to those who have faith in Jesus Christ. And so that righteousness, we no longer have to work for. So what, what's, what's happened now? Well, the Lord's day as I'm going to try to call it or Sunday. I'm going to try to call it the day Jesus rose from the dead. That's now become kind of our new covenant hallowed day, which is why we're here this morning. You know? And in Psalms 118, 19 through 24, the psalmist writes in, in a way and prophesies in a way that says the day the Lord is made by his resurrection is now our Lord's day. We don't need a Sabbath anymore because Jesus took care of that. But we do have a Lord's day, a day of rest, a day to start a stop in our work so psalms 118 19 through 24 you can write that down and look it up later but that's where we get our idea that sunday is the day we're going to set aside for our worship and for our reflection and our quiet time and a lot of other things and i'll explain more in, in a little bit but we need to understand that number the commandment number four is not null and void i'm going to talk about that later but but like all other commandments through the new covenant we look at it with different eyes. How many times did Jesus say, you've heard it said, but I say, because Jesus brings in the new covenant. So this is just another way to look at number four commandment, and we will talk a little bit more in detail about that. But the fact is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and and he interprets everything. And so we're looking at the Lord's day as a special day. We are resting from our labor of righteousness because we have grace that gives us eternal rest forever and ever. See, Jesus redeemed the Jewish Sabbath here in this moment for the rightful use on earth, the rightful use which was need and hunger for the Jews at that point in time. But he then died on the cross, was buried, rose again, ascended to the Father to give us an eternal life rest for humanity. So that's how Jesus redeemed it you know the greatest need in humanity is not hunger although there's a lot of people hungry right now it's not shelter although there's a lot of people homeless right now there's a lot of things going on we need forest fires put out west and we need it to stop raining and stop having earthquakes I mean we those are needs but the greatest need and hunger of humanity is righteousness to be righteously reconciled to God Almighty that's our greatest need We've talked about it already before. Unforgiven sins is why people go to hell. Not We all sin, it's unforgiven sins. And that's what the greatest need is for our sins to be forgiven. For holiness to be bestowed on us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And Jesus was working for this when he was living on planet earth. In John chapter 5 verses 16 through 17. There was a discussion and an issue going on about the Sabbath again, and he says, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my Father is working until now, and I am working. What is God and Jesus working for? Every day they're working for our salvation. They're working to bestow forgiveness on those who will believe, on our accepting of the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ so now that jesus has took care of the spiritual reason of the sabbath and the sabbath rest that god started from the very beginning let's talk about the lord's day kind of as a result of of that sunday the resurrection day will be forever the lord's day it has been deemed that way by scripture it should be a day to stop work it should be a day to rest our bodies It should be a day to rest our minds, to renew our souls. We need to focus on Jesus on the Lord's Day. That's that's what I would encourage you to do. I'm gonna get a little more specific later, but you know, should Sunday be used for to pursue recreational activities, hobbies, chores at home, sporting events? We'll talk about that. But first of all, I want you to understand something about the Sabbath, because this is where sometimes we get all bent out of shape about it. First of all, working or recreating or doing chores on Sunday will not send you to hell, okay? Now, that gives us some freedom, I hope, but not freedom to license and liberty to do what we want, but it gives us some peace about it. You're not going to hell because you mow your grass on Sunday. I would encourage you not to, but We'll talk about that in a minute. But considering the circumstances, working on Sunday or doing anything that's not focused on Jesus could make life a little harder down here as you live your Christian life. You have to think about that. The only thing that sends you to hell is not trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, believing that his blood cleanses you from all unrighteousness. And the second thing I want you to understand is in the Christian circles, over the years, and some of you have seen this, you're older than me, so you've seen a lot of it, there's a lot of condemning, a lot of accusations flying around about if you do something on the Sabbath, you should be kicked out of the church. And I know somebody that was. I mean, there's stories long ago that people were kicked out of church, excommunicated from the church because they did something on a Sunday that they shouldn't do that wasn't covered in Scripture. It, It promotes legalism is all it does. It promotes controversy, promotes strife. There needs to be a better way to look at it, and we're going to talk about that. I want you, I, I don't know if you remember this. I remember as a kid, you couldn't sell alcohol on Sundays. You know, you, all the, I mean, I remember going to the grocery stores and the liquor, the liquor places in the store were, had a big chain, I mean, a big drop-down fence thing in front of it. So I remember those days. Restaurants were closed, bars were closed, movie theaters were taboo. Any kind of entertainment was refrained from. Travel was refrained from. And we call that the good old days, but the problem is those good old days created a spirit of legalism that never got corrected. And so a lot of people's like, well, I don't want any part of that. I mean, there were people telling people they would go to hell because they did something on Sunday, and that's not true. Sunday use is meant to be a sanctifying tool, okay? Just like reading your Bible, just like your prayer time, just like fasting, tithing, everything else that's in scripture for calling us as believers to do, calling us to commit our lives and submit our lives to Jesus, Sunday is just another tool for that. How you use it and what you do with it. And like all other matters of our faith, prayer, Bible, meditation must be applied to Sunday use. You've got to... You've got to pray about this because we're all in different circumstances. We all have different things going on in our life. There may be a reason you have to do something on Sunday. So pray about it. Seek God's face about it. That's where we really grow in our faith is when we're spending time with God over certain things that we're wrestling with. (laughs) Because the key really is what Jesus said at the end of this passage. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He is Lord of the Sabbath. He is Lord of Sunday. He is Lord of every day, so you might as well accept that. So how does your Lord want you to use Sunday? Ask him. He'll tell you. Sunday was made special by the new covenant, by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It was made special for the sake of humanity. First of all, for the forgiveness of our sins. We need to use it in accordance with that truth. So, the next thing, the Sabbath rules men. The Sabbath rules of men are corrected by the Messiah. Now Jesus really corrects the worst possible rule there could ever be for the Sabbath. Jesus returns goodness to the Sabbath. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Let's read this again. This is hard to believe sometimes when you read it. Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a shriveled hand. In order to accuse him they, the Pharisees, were watching him closely to see whether he would heal on him on the Sabbath. He told the man with a shriveled hand, stand before us. And then he said to them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. After looking around at them with anger, he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts and told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched out And his hand was restored. Immediately, the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him how they might kill Jesus. Wow. So we're in a different Sabbath time frame because they use the word again there at the beginning of chapter 3. So another Sabbath, another Saturday rolls around. Jesus, his disciples, and the Pharisees, and the congregation are all gathered in some synagogue somewhere in first century Palestine to worship. At least that's what it looks like. (laughs) And they have a special guest that day. A man with a shriveled hand. A man with a hand that he's never been able to use. And Jesus knows that man's there. And he also knows that the Pharisees are there and what they're thinking. The Pharisees aren't there to worship. They're there trying to entrap Jesus. They're just wanting to catch him at doing something wrong. What for? Healing. How did healing, a God-only event, become a problem in first century Judaism? Healing. How does such a merciful act become wrong? But that's what they were waiting for. Well, the Jewish doctrines of that time, the Judaism doctrines called the Mishnah, that's a fancy word for it, you can impress your friends with that, Mishnah, it prohibited non-life-threatening medical attention on the Sabbath. So yeah, I guess if you cut your finger, you couldn't put a Band-Aid on it. Rub some dirt on it, it'll stop bleeding, right? No, and in, but emergencies could be handled. So always the question is, what constitutes an emergency for them? Anyway, it's, it's a lot of irony here with Mark, the way he's presenting this. First of all, healing is only done by God. God shows up, in Jesus Christ and heals this man's hand, it evidently was okay for God to do something like that on Sunday or Sabbath, on the Sabbath. Anyway, it's a lot of irony. There was a demoniac healed earlier, remember, on the Sabbath. Nobody complained about that. Nobody started accusing him about that. Maybe because the Pharisees weren't around. I don't know. But Maybe they thought that was an emergency. He's, got, he's possessed by a demon and he's interrupting our service in the synagogue. Heal the demoniac. But not the man with the shriveled hand. Not on, on Saturday. God showed up to heal. It's man-made foolishness is really what it is. It's just man-made rules that make no sense when, you, when it comes to the character of God who is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. See, this ties back to the reason Sabbath was made. It was made for man, right? Verse 27, it was made for man, not the other way around. So here's this man with a shriveled hand. So Jesus is properly interpreting the use of the Sabbath, and he confronts their hypocrisy. I mean, he he just brings the guy out front here and says, I need to ask you guys a question, and he does. He asks them some very pointed questions simple questions simple questions with obvious answers it's it's better to do good on the sabbath it's better to do to heal to help it's better to do those things on the sabbath than evil and harm but they're silent you know what their silence says they're cowards they're cowards they're heinously thinking about life and burdening people That's one of the points of the book that I told you about that's out there, Gentle and Lowly. Jesus says, my burden is easy because he saw the Pharisees' burden that they had created. And this is one of them. They would rather let a man suffer with a hand he can't use for the rest of his life than be healed on the Sabbath. Wow, talk about merciless. Talk about cowardly. So Jesus was righteously indignant. Now, I've never been righteously indignant about anything. I've never been righteously mad about anything. If I've ever been mad, it's probably sinful. So we sometimes want to hide behind that. He was righteously indignant over their false piety. He was grieved over the hard hearts they had because they were merciless. They didn't care about this guy. They only cared about catching Jesus, doing something wrong. So Jesus commands the man to do something he had never done before in his entire life. Stretch out your hand. That's what he commanded him to do. He couldn't stretch out his hand. His hand was swiveled. Had been from a childhood probably. He stretched it out. And by faith his hand was made well. Because he believed that this Messiah standing in front of him could heal his hand. The shame of that hand probably was burdened. The humiliation that came from he had to have help in doing things because he probably couldn't Manipulate too many things. He didn't have great motor skills in his hands. So he was humiliated by that, but it was overcome in that moment by faith. He believed Jesus meant what he said, stretch it out. And he did. He extended a very healthy hand. Praise God that he did that. Thank you, Jesus. Yet the Pharisees did not give glory to God, they didn't recognize it was right in front of them that God showed up because God's the only real healer and Jesus is God and they became jealous and they became enraged and uh, they went out immediately that's how upset they were they went out immediately and here's what they did they started plotting with a group called the Herodians now these two groups are they're they're worse than Democrat and Republican okay I mean they are the Herodians supported Rome They supported Rome's empire. They supported Rome setting Herod as king over Galilee in this area. They were all for Rome, and they were Pharisees who were for Rome. But the Pharisees were Pharisees, Jews, who were totally against Rome, tax-collecting, all the stuff that went along with that. These two guys get together. Why? They have a common enemy, and that enemy was Jesus Christ. Hate and self-righteousness bring about some strange bedfellows I'm telling you really strange and in the midst of the hatred and the plotting Jesus returned the sabbath to its god-given purpose which was goodness and mercy you ever used the wrong tool for the uh, the wrong tool for a job i've removed a screw with a hammer it's not advised. It usually pulls a big chunk of sheetrock with it. Or used a, a pair of pliers to drive a nail one time. That didn't work either. I mean, we, we've done that. I've used a piece of scotch tape for a Band-Aid one time because I didn't have anything else. They were using the wrong tool for the wrong job. The Pharisees created burdens of the Sabbath use instead of God's purpose of spiritual rest and mercy. They had a completely wrong view of the Sabbath. Some some illustrations in other places. Matthew 12, Jesus confronts rescuing the animal. My ox is in the ditch. I think Roger's mom used to say that a lot. My ox is in the ditch, rescuing the animal on the Sabbath. Why couldn't he rescue a human on the Sabbath? In in Luke chapter 13, Jesus confronts that they would water and feed their animals on on the Sabbath. But this woman, this daughter of Abraham who was bent over from a, a demonic spirit... He healed why couldn't he deliver a whole person why could he heal this person why was that wrong and then in john chapter 7 jesus really uncovers their hypocrisy when he talks about circumcision you'll circumcise which is work on the sabbath to keep a person right with the law but you won't let me you won't let me heal somebody and make a whole person whole I think I've illustrated the point that there's a lot of hypocrisy in what the Pharisees do. So in in chapter 2, verses 23 through 28, Jesus reminded us that the Sabbath was for man, not the other way around. And he exposed, now he's exposed how their error gets worse. So the way they had established things, their error is getting so much worse. And what does it turn into? We can't heal on the Sabbath. God can't heal on our Sabbath. The Sabbath he gave us. Yeah, I scratched my head all week over that. It's like, man. So now for us, those of us under the new covenant, how do we use our Sunday? Hopefully you come to church. Maybe you go eat with some friends afterwards in fellowship. But then what? If we start using it for other items, even if it's a necessity once, we don't need to make it a habit. It can grow to overtake our Sunday rest, our Sunday devotion, it can do that easily. So we have to be careful. I know someone that, good brother in Christ, but he started mowing his grass on Sunday. I'm going to keep using that example, but um, I'm not setting any rules here, okay? And, and he had to do it one time because he was leaving town the next day. He was going to be gone for two weeks. The grass was already high. You know, you know how it goes. But then he kind of got in the habit of doing it over and over. Now, I'm not saying that every Sunday thing you do, everything you do on Sunday needs to be some mighty religious act. That's not what I'm trying to say. But, but are we giving each Sunday some careful thought and prayer? Consider the day with a spiritual new covenant eyes. Look at it from, from the perspective that you've been saved. You've been born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day he's talking about in Psalms 118. So consider the day with, with those, those kind of thoughts in your mind. Find ways to glorify God and honor Jesus as well as rest your person. I know a lot of you go home and take home a nap. I think that's a righteous thing to do. It's a day of rest. I wish I, I, wish I didn't hate naps so much. I, I'd probably do better. But, but we need to remember the most important lesson when we're thinking about what we're doing on a Sunday. Jesus is Lord of Sunday because he is Lord, period. He's Lord of every day and everything. So Sunday is for our good, spiritually. We just need to do that now. Surrender this day to God for good and allow him to direct your plans for the good of your soul. That's, I believe that's what the is asking us to do. Just like Jesus kind of reinterpreted and re re-caged their gyros in a sense about the Sabbath here, we need to do the same thing. And we need to do it on a regular basis because the world's always furnishing distractions. Jesus changes the Sabbath by his death burial, and his resurrection. But I want to look a little deeper. This is not on your outline. You can turn it over on the back if you want to take notes on this. But I want us to remember the fourth commandment a little bit. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, Exodus 28. Because I don't want you to leave here today going, well, that Sabbath commandment's out the window, because it's not. There's much more about keeping it holy uh, in in the rest of the verses 9, 10, and 11 in Exodus 20 and throughout Old Testament Scripture. But after the new covenant, what is our part, as believers in Jesus Christ, what's our part in observing the Lord's day, Sunday? How do we remember it? How do we keep it holy? See, Jesus has taken care of the ceremonial, clean, ritual part of it by his death. And he's brought righteousness for our souls. But now how do we look at it? How do we see it? See, God expects us to give him time. He does. He expects us to set aside maybe a day, once, maybe weekly. But he expects us to give him, set apart, make it holy, a time to worship and to relish him, to honor him, to revere him. And if God expects it, there's one thing you can bank on when God expects something, he will bless it if you obey it. It's been proven. Look at Isaiah 58, 13 through 14. If you don't mind indulging me a little bit, look there. Isaiah 58, verses 13 through 14. I was in college when the Baptist student ministry pastor showed me, and I think Angie was with me when they did, showed me this passage. And it's a long passage, but I'm not going to do the whole thing. But Isaiah 58, verses 13 through 14. I'm going to read that. I want you to follow along. This is, this is eye-opening. I want you to also realize something. This chapter comes after all the Messiah chapters in Isaiah, right after. So in light of what's coming in the Messiah, God has Isaiah write this down. Verse 13, if you keep from desecrating the Sabbath, from doing whatever you want on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it not going your own ways, seeking your own pleasure, or talking business, then you will delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride over the heights of the land and let you enjoy the heritage of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I don't want that to be condemning, but I do want it to be convicting. I know some have to work on Sundays because that's just supporting your your family, making your, your way. I understand that. There's lots of other verses in Scripture that give the same concept there. The commandment is not canceled, okay? It's not one we can just go, okay, I don't have to worry about that one. All 10 of them are still important, but look at them with new covenant eyes. Look at them from Jesus' lenses. It's not inapplicable. It is still applicable to us because it's redeemed. It's much better now. You have heard it said, but I say, So here's some thoughts on how, specifically, to each of us, it may differ differ a little, little, but specifically, here's how we can use our Sundays. First, I would encourage you to worship with a body of believers on a regular basis. Um, And I define regularly as every time we get together, because there is a reason we get together weekly. One, because there's a Sunday every week. There's not any month in the year that doesn't have a Sunday in its week, okay? So there's 52 of them, if you're keeping count. So worship as often as you can. Fellowship with other believers. Even try to fellowship with people that's in your church that you don't know. Some new ideas may be to focus on relationships on Sunday. Call someone. Contact someone you haven't seen at church for a while. Visit a widow, a widower, an elderly or an infirm person. Try to make contact with them. I don't want to leave out napping here. You can nap, okay? Read a good book. The one in the lobby is a great example. You don't have to read it all the way through on Sunday, but read it. Write some letters to people. Take one book of the Bible and read it all the way through. Even the one-chapter books, that counts, okay? Even the one-chapter books. But it's, it's funny. I mean, you can read the book of Mark, for example, in probably about two hours at a normal speed. So those are some ideas. Now, personally, here's, here's just a testimony. I take Friday off here In this job, because I work on Sunday. But the truth is, I just play golf or go do home chores or whatever on Friday. But I still set aside Sunday as the day that I'm going to commit to the Lord. I give it to God, including leading this worship service and everything. It's all part of my life now. I don't mind that. But when I was in college, after the Baptist student ministry showed me this, I chose not to do homework on Sunday. Me and my roommate, actually, he was a, he was a believer too. And we, we both coveted, covenanted together that we wouldn't do homework on Sunday. And we were both in engineering, so we had homework, trust me. But uh, we would at least not do homework until after the evening services. And then when we come back before we went to bed that night, we might have to study for a test the next day or brush up on something. But we tried to plan so we wouldn't have to do homework. I did it in seminary. I, t- I chose not to read on Sunday, not to try to do my, my, my book reading and my studies on Sunday. And God blessed it. Plus it was a great day off. I mean, I was reading 10 to 12 books sometimes, so it was a nice day to just take a breath, not to necessarily watch the NFL or whatever, but we chose to not let our kids participate in team sports that required playing on Sunday, especially Sunday so close or so close to church it might interrupt and get in the way of church. We, we chose to do that. We chose to make church a priority at home and on vacation. Uh, We we chose to try not to do chores on on, uh, Sunday if we could avoid it. We tried to find and make sure we were planning to do them on the other six days of the week. And I would say to you men, you need to take the lead on this, okay? I think men can establish the rhythm in the family on Sunday and set a great example of how to do this. Now listen, I'm not saying these are rules, okay? You won't find what I just said in Scripture anywhere, okay? This was my, my interpretation and God's conviction in my heart. So these are not new rules that I'm making up for anybody. They're not a list of don'ts and do's on Sunday. They're just practical ways. And that's, we were led by the Spirit to do these things. We didn't perfectly execute them every time. Sometimes laundry piles up. Sometimes your ox is in a ditch and you've got to get them out. And that's all permissible in God's eyes. And honoring when you're helping others especially. So you may need to split up your Sunday time, you know, if you have to work for for your job to keep your, you know, food on the table. You may have to. But I tell you, sometimes I requested off on Sundays a lot, not in the military necessarily because we had Sundays off unless we were in combat or or exercising. But when I was working hourly jobs, I would ask for Sundays off, at least Sunday mornings, you know, to the mid-afternoon. You can do those kind of things. But if you need to split up Sunday, your devotion day, do it. Find a day in the week that you can spend a little devoted time, rest and recuperation, and give it to God. I mean, mow your, your yard on Saturday or Monday. I mean, the grass is going to be there. It's not going anywhere. Um, keep your, your recreational items the other six days. Think ahead for the good of your own soul for Sunday. That's what I'm encouraging you to do. That's all I'm encouraging you to do. Remember, I'm not condemning <laughs> at all. I'm just trying to instruct here. Pray about it. Read your Bible about it. Give it some clear instruction. In closing, I want us to remember that I told you Jesus confronted this 13 times throughout the Gospels. And if Jesus makes it a point about this particular day and setting aside a day, we should probably acknowledge that truth. And you know what? The world would see a difference if we as believers in Jesus Christ set apart Sunday. And, and put some things away that we have been doing on a normal basis. I think lost people would witness the fact that we love our God and our Savior so much, we're willing to, to kind of take a day where we shut down everything worldly in our life and everything chore-wise. But sometimes I think we're afraid of what the world will say. Well, they think we're a cult if we do that. think it's too religious. Not if we don't flaunt it and try to be hypocritical with it. We just need to trust Jesus with it. So believer, I'm asking you this morning, I hope you don't live with a seared conscience over this issue because I've seen some pretty defensive reactions whenever I've talked about Sabbath use, Sunday use. I'm trying to change that word. So here's what I would ask. Would you be willing to challenge your faith by modifying your Sunday activities? Take one thing out of your Sunday activities that you think might not be exactly what God would have you do. Give your Sunday rest, your good deeds, and do something different on there. Try it for eight Sundays and see what God does in your life. That's October 3rd if you need a date. For the next eight Sundays, replace one thing you normally do with something that fits the Lord's focus. And ask God to show you spiritually some positive uses for Sunday. I'm telling you, give it a try. We've been blessed by it. I can testify to that. Now, some of you, Sunday's just another day off. Sunday's just maybe another work day, and I hate that for you. You never really enjoy the rest that comes in Christ because you haven't got the Sabbath rest that I talked about earlier. But Jesus offers you that rest right now. Grace for you to begin enjoying his rest of righteousness and forgiveness can start right now. Faith. Like the man with the shriveled hand, he had faith that the Messiah could heal him. Your faith says with conviction, I believe in you, Jesus. I trust your death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of my sins. You mean it. You own it. And then you turn away from everything you've been trusting in, everything you've been trying to use to generate yourself to be right enough for God. That's called repentance. And you can do that this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this education this morning about how we can better use Sundays in our relationship with you and how you have blessed that day to be a special day, not just another day. Because you raised your son to life from death on that day and and opened a door into heaven for all who would believe. May we remember that this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand and sing about the hands that bled for your new covenant, the nail-scarred hands of Jesus Christ.